Welcome to Sacred Intersections Podcast, where we navigate the twisty roads of harmful theology, mental health, and religious abuse. I'm Jill. I'm an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA with training in pastoral care and counseling. And I'm Paula. I'm a licensed professional counselor, a counseling professor, and a person of faith. So as we get started, we just wanted to say that Sacred Intersections podcast is about respectful discussion and conversation to encourage you to think. We're not trying to make you think like us. We just want to encourage you to think. That is our agenda. Neither one of us speaks on behalf of the Presbyterian Church USA or another organization which we may be connected to in our professional lives, nor do we speak on behalf of all mental health care professionals and practitioners, on behalf of people of faith or Jesus followers or white women or Americans or people who love dogs. Are you sure we don't speak on behalf of all people who love dogs? I mean, we do love dogs a whole (laughs) lot. There are four precious dogs between the two of us. (laughs) But... Even having said that, we also want to add that Sacred Intersections is a podcast that includes discussion and conversation about religion, um, primarily Christianity, but religion, spirituality, mental health, and all those ways that they intersect. So we were already having these kinds of conversations between us, and we decided to record them and share them with you. So we are glad you're along for the journey, even if you are traveling different roads or driving different vehicles than we are. So we're pretty excited this week. We have some new roadies to welcome to the crew. So we want to say welcome to Austria, Puerto Rico, and Malaysia. Roadies, we're glad that you're here. And last time I checked the app, we were in 30 states and Washington, D.C. That's so cool. Welcome, roadies. Welcome, new roadies. We're glad you're here. We are very glad you're here. And we're glad you're here for our discussion today, where we are going to look at the ways the church tends to treat single people. Yeah, that is our intersection for today. Singleness in the church. Yes, and perhaps some of the harmful ways. As always, there are churches that do this very well and get it right. And then there's a lot of churches that maybe don't get it quite so right. And as someone who got married in what a lot of people would consider later in life, I don't think, and a lot of people would not, but especially in the Southeast where we are from, I got married in my mid-30s and that was horrifying to a lot of people. (laughs) So this is a topic that's really um, important to me. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to talk about it. I think there's a lot of really interesting perspectives to share because there are a lot of ways in which the culture of the church, maybe not necessarily the theology, but the culture of the mm-hmm. church mm-hmm. is some of the contributing factors to the harm that's maybe mm-hmm. done. And I think I don't think it's always done in malicious attempt, with malicious intent. It's I agree. sort of unconscious, but it's our hope that we make it conscious now so people can be a little bit more aware of the impact of their words and behaviors and make you think. Yeah, I think that's really important to say that that my experiences, and of course, you know, we can only speak from our experiences, and we also recognize that, as we've said in the episodes on race that we did, where we wanted to be clear that we were white women, that we are also talking about singleness in the church, and we are both married women. Yes. So, um, so we're examining that. We're examining these ways that we're talking about issues from places of privilege or I don't even know that, I guess being married might be a place of privilege. At least it seems like it is in the church sure. in some ways. Um, but but we're just examining, talking about communities that we are not 
members of in a really overt way. So we're so just know that we're examining that and considering additional episodes that may include interviews or bringing special guests on for members of these communities. But um, but yeah, my experience was definitely not. I don't think malicious or overt harm done to me because I was a single woman in a church setting. I I agree that a lot of it is just not thinking or just not having an awareness. Um, and, And having said that, sometimes there are some bad intentions behind some of the ways that single people are treated as well. Right. So I think it maybe goes without saying, um, should we draw attention to the fact that Jesus was single? (laughs) amen yeah i mean even as you were talking about the ways that church tends to overlook or perhaps not maliciously but how this is sometimes a population that just feels a little unseen that yeah jesus and i don't think we know a lot about the disciples but we don't hear about wives of the disciples right either yeah so it is really interesting to me that yes this single man right has evolved into all of these churches that worship the single man that are so focused on marriage and family. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say, you said the disciples in their lives. I will say, like, Simon has a mother-in-law. We hear about that in okay. some of the gospel stories. But we don't know a whole lot about the culture and the things that are going on. And that's one of the beautiful things that the Jewish faith does is that there's this practice around sort of creating stories and narratives about the particular characters in the Bible and filling out those stories. And that's a beautiful part of the Jewish faith that we're not as familiar with doing mm-hmm. in, in Christianity. But Well, and I also think I agree that, yes, that that is maybe an unfinished part of their story. But I also think that speaks to the fact that there was so much more to their story and the emphasis of what they were doing was not on their marital status. Right, right. Which seems to be a huge emphasis in so many churches, or at least single people feel like that is emphasized so much. And we're not here to bash married people either. We're married. Right. True. We like our partners. (laughs) (laughs) We we tend to want to keep them around for a little while. But but yeah, I think that's part of the examination is when that becomes someone's identity in a lot of ways, rather than looking at the ways they are a part of the church and can contribute to the church. Apart from their marital status, sure. or apart from not being a member of a couple or a more traditional family. Yeah. So our intersection for today is singleness in the church. So, um, Paula, talk to us a little bit about the mental health road that we take to get there. You know, there's a lot of things that are particular to the church, and then there's a lot of things that might be particular to being single in general. So I also just want to say that up front, that there's a lot of societal pressure to to partner up, which is interesting too, because I did a little bit of research on statistics in America and lots of different points of data seem to say overall, American adults are 50% single. That is fascinating. Isn't it? Yeah. Because that's not the message that we're sent. Very true. <laughs> it feels yeah. like in society. And, and you know, and that includes across the lifespan, adults across the lifespan. So, you know, as you get older, the tendency to be widowed or have a, be a widower, of course, goes up. So there's a lot of things that go into that data. But I thought that was really interesting that there is this huge societal pressure to be part of a couple when 
half of most Americans are not. That's very um, interesting. At least according to some of the data I saw. Yeah. So, so I thought that was really interesting. But we have to acknowledge lots of different types of churches and how this might look in different churches. So a mega church that has an established singles group or singles class or singles department even and has a singles minister is going to be really different experience for a single person than a small church where there's only maybe one or two single people who are attending this church. Sure. Um, But I think some of the common themes are this overall message that singleness is a problem to be solved. Preach. (laughs) You know, this idea that single people are sent. I certainly was sent that message and and internalize that message in a lot of ways as a young woman that that singleness is a problem to be solved that um, that I felt like I had to explain why I wasn't married or that people were looking down on me because I wasn't married or that they were constantly looking to fix me up with people or to solve this problem of me being single. And of course, there's layers to that and there's nuance. When someone wanted to fix me up, I will just kind of take this little side road a little bit that that it always felt like a great honor in many ways. Like that that felt very loving to me that they liked me enough to want to think someone else might <laughs> sure. like me and yes. want to be a part of that. So it was so there was a kindness to that. And there was, I think, and I will also be transparent just speaking so you all know where I'm speaking from that that when I say I internalize that, I very much, I always wanted to be married. Yeah. That was something that was always, when I was single, through my 20s and my early 30s, I was not someone who said like, oh, it'll be fine if I never get married. I worked on being fine with where I was, but I just always had that longing. I never really had a longing to have kids, and I still don't have kids, but I really had a longing for a partner. Um, and not everyone does, and that's absolutely okay too. So I don't know how much of that was me internalizing that message that I'd been sent that this was a problem to be solved, but I think just being careful with those layers that that the church seems to send that message. And even for our pastors listening, how many of your sermon illustrations are of more traditional married couples? And I keep going back to, you know, we said it earlier, if singleness is a problem to be solved, was Jesus being single a problem? You know, so... I don't know. It's so interesting to think about where that came from. So I have this picture in my head of, like, the stereotypical Jewish mother that we, like, get from cultural stereotypes and how Mary is never depicted at that. Can you just see Mary being like, Jesus, when are you going to bring home a nice girl for me? Like, that's just... That's a fundamental picture that I'm going to play with for a little while. <laughs> or people, or or like, you know, mothers sitting in out in the fields listening to his sermons and elbowing their daughter saying, <laughs> he's, he's cute. He's cute. <laughs> you should go meet him afterwards. Because how many times did I get elbowed like, who's that? Who's that new guy in church? We should go meet him afterwards. So yes. so that's that's really funny to think about that happening out in Jesus's crowds. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah. It, it probably did. So anyway, just from the mental health, going back to the mental health road, this just recognizing how church can be a really lonely place if you are single. And sitting in a pew alone is an experience that just has a lot of layers to it that can really be a beautiful thing sometimes and can really help me feel a bunch more connected to my worship, but also just felt very self-conscious quite often of 
everyone's looking at me or everyone's judging me in some way or or ignoring me. Like just they didn't quite know what to do with me. Sure. So so after church standing up and watching everyone turn to their families or turn to the other families around them and have conversations about what's going to happen and then just kind of leaving and and I Attend, I did not attend unfriendly churches. <laughs> sure. Right. <laughs> like most of my churches have been really great experiences. So this isn't a, a critique of my church in particular. It's just this recognition of how single people are just so often unseen. Right. In the church. Yeah. And I think I would say too, single for any reason. I mean, I particularly am drawn to thinking about members of the LGBTQIA community or people who might not identify as cisgender who are sitting in pews and who feel like they can't be who they are. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how that impacts, you know, that that not being not being able to be who you are is something that I imagine a number of folks in the LGBTQIA community have felt. But this feeling that even being single, you can't just be who you are. The mental health picture that I see is that a single person is in progress, that they're mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. like, as though unfinished. we're not all in, in progress, but yes. that you're unfinished, you're just waiting, and maybe you'll find the right person, but, like, that that singleness is yeah. not in and of itself. And until you find that right person, you are less than, and you are unfinished, and there's something lacking in you. Yeah. And and so there's that something lacking of not having that spouse or partner. And, of course, I'm speaking as a woman, so I do think, I don't know if, if men ex- single men experience that the same way. But there certainly was a message of you need to find a husband kind of thing. Right. And so that's another layer for the LGBTQ plus community of assumptions about what their dating life or lack of dating life might look like or desire or things like that. So it's really this, no one likes to be a problem. No one likes to be problematized. No one likes to be seen as a problem. And so I think that, again, probably is not overt. Probably if we ask most Christians, most married Christians who belong to churches, they would not consciously say this about single people in their church. And it's still a message that systemically is sent quite often. So just feeling less than... And almost this um, feeling, I should have looked up how to say this properly, infantilized? Infantized? Infantized. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that you said that. Yes. So the idea of being infantized. Uh, I have a friend who talks about the way in which age is measured and that it's not chronologically timed. Mm -hmm. And I love the picture that she gives because it's like this little spreadsheet of things that add time to your age. So um, Hmm. having a college degree ages you. Having a master's degree or a graduate degree ages you. Being married ages you. Having kids ages you. Having pets. Um, One of the things that totally makes me crack up, having a dining room table. (laughs) Like, and I will say, like, I went for a good portion of my adult life without having a dining room table. Like, I ate on a trunk. In my apartment, (laughs) like with a little piece of fabric on it. But how someone who might be, you know, this particular friend that that talks about it is chronologically older than me. But by these standards, I'm older than her because Mm. I have a 
partner and a spouse, and I have two dogs and three chickens. And and so you're seen as more mature in some way or more capable or more adult right. or however you think of that. Yes. And it goes back to that unfinished piece, that message that's sent, but also just kind of this head padding or this incomplete human that is not grown up yet because they have not settled down and gotten married. How often have we talked about settling down and getting married? Right. Whereas right. you can settle down without being married. <laughs> right. Well, and then just a little sidebar, the ways in which the goalpost get gets moved. Mm. Because once you're married, then you have to have kids. And if mm. you don't have kids, then clearly there's something wrong with you. Like, which, that's a little road rage moment maybe for another episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, but... I agree. Yeah, the goalposts keep getting moved and all of these markers of when you're finally a grown-up. But to any single people who might be listening, you are a complete grown-up human, valuable and capable all on your own. You know, I mean, just if we think back to, from again, staying on this mental health road of how people's mental health can be affected by this topic, just you think back to the, J- the Jerry Maguire, you complete me. How mm. if you haven't seen, if you're too young or haven't seen the movie Jerry Maguire, there's this famous scene that the movie's kind of based around. This is a billboard. You're doing a billboard, oh, I'm Paula. Doing a no, billboard. Look at you. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jumping ahead to the billboard category. <laughs> no, I'm good. Keep but, going. But I think it really does, it, the whole movie builds up to this, this moment of this couple saying to each other, you complete me. And... I was single when that movie was out, and that it enraged me, this idea that people romanticized this concept so much. It's a cute movie in a lot of other ways, but this idea that you need another human partner to complete you, and especially for Christians, you know, I mean, we're completing Christ, and so, so I really resisted that idea. Now, having met my husband, I also recognize my life would have been incomplete in other ways, but that was my journey, and I was still not an incomplete human before I met him. Right. <laughs> I was still a complete and valuable human, but constantly being sent this message, you need to be looking for someone to complete you, and you are not worthy until you have that other person. There's also just the experience of church being, you know, for ch- for the large churches that do have singles groups. I've heard stories of churches that are afraid to start singles groups because they say it'll just turn into a meat market and people will only be there to find a spouse. Um, meat market was, that phrase was tossed around a lot when I was looking for churches. And I will say the church that I wound up in for most of my 20s when I was single, I ultimately joined because of the singles community that was there. Because That's wonderful. Because there's not a lot of other community in church for, in many places. I like to think that our church does a decent job of, we have quite a few single people across the lifespan, and I like to think that we do a good job, but I'm heading, I'm just stomping all over our categories as we look (laughs) at U-turns about providing community outside of the singles group. But singles groups can provide community, but they can also be confusing for this pressure to go to church to find a partner, you know, and so that can can kind of confuse worship and searching and it it just can be very it can be a lot of overloading emotions for sure <laughs> while yes. they're at church. There's also when you think of I would encourage pastors who are listening to think about the programming that you have at your church right mm-hmm. now and how much programming is available 
for married people, is available for married parents, and are you being as intentional with other populations, or are you providing inclusive programming that can open up to everyone? Yes. Or if not now, in non-COVID pandemic times. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's also important (laughs) to say. Yeah, I just think about how many different small groups are had about improving your marriage and having a good marriage. And I think that's important. That's stuff churches should be talking about. We should be talking about relationships. And how many programs have you had specifically for single people? Right. So there's this, there's this, I, I know I'm definitely jumping all over the U-turn, but this idea of providing community for single people with other single people, but providing larger community and not just isolating people in their single community. Right. And I will say that that was a lot of what I experienced. I did not feel connected. I went to a pretty big church and I didn't feel super connected to the larger church, but I had great love for my single community in that church. Yeah. Well, when I think about um, mental health, uh, things on the mental health road, I think about the concept of othering too, of just the ways in which, just like you were just saying that people are siloed. So all of the single people, you get your class and we're checking that box and all of the married people, okay, you get your box and the people with children and there's not this um, ability to, to have diversity in relationships mm-hmm. and that cultural context of, you know, the fifth wheel, you know, single people and couples having relationships with each other and couples and single people and people with children and all of those things kind of mixing together. However, it may be depicted on television shows or name your billboard. Like it's the, the othering concept of like, well, you don't, you don't fit the narrative that I have in my head. So I'm just gonna not deal with it. Yeah. That's really interesting. As you say that I was thinking about, the friends I had when I was single, the couple friends I had, the, the coupled up friends I had, and which of them I felt comfortable spending time with as a couple and which I didn't, because I definitely had some amazing couple friends who did not make me feel like that third wheel or fifth wheel if there was another couple there. And then there were some where I did. That's interesting. I'm going to have to do some more thinking on what characteristics of those friends happened. And as a quick a quick reflection makes me think that when I considered the husband, and these were mostly heterosexual couples, a friend as well, that was different from the people who did not include me in their married life. Just It was just they, they had their single time with me. Sure. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm not quite sure to go with that, but ponder that. And if you're a married couple, ponder how you treat your single friends and how how comfortable they may feel being around you as a couple. Right. Or do you just keep them in this one area of your life? Yeah. Hmm. You know, and finally, I mean, there's lots of mental health issues, but one that also came up is just being single is hard. If you were choosing to date, which I don't think you have to, but if you are choosing to date, dating is hard. Hmm. It's just, oh, it's so hard. And... I told my husband he's never allowed to die because the thought of being back in the dating world is hard. And just the rejection is just, it's just hard to feel like there is something wrong with you because someone didn't choose you. And, you know, that's why I really appreciate, you know, books like He's Not Just Not That Into You, which is about move on and find someone who does appreciate you versus wallowing and why doesn't this person 
like me and I'm going to try to make this person like me. And so that's, I think, just, but just recognizing the roller coaster of emotions of what it's like to be rejected and perhaps to be rejected over and over and over again. In the, in the online dating world, it's just like non-online dating, except for it's kind of sped up because you've got all these different relationships and opportunities and maybe people rejecting you daily or hourly or so it's really that just that's mentally hard to continue to know your own self-worth and your value and you know I always said it's only supposed to work with one person if if you want to get married if you do want to get married again not everyone needs to want to get married but if you do want so that means there are lots of people it's not supposed to work with that was how I would kind of give myself the pep talks with the rejection. Sure. <laughs> there's a whole world of people that mm. it's not supposed to work with. But it's, that still doesn't stop it from just hurting yeah. when someone rejects you right. and doesn't choose you or says that you're that I'm not attracted to you or I don't want to spend any more time with you. That's just hard. And when that message is being reinforced by your church, that's, you know, a lot of the stuff that we talk about are things that would be harmful in any context and when you add that spiritual element, because when your church is telling you not good, en- you're not good enough. What's underneath that is God is telling you you're not good enough, right. and God is telling you you're not complete, or I don't love you as much as I love these other people. Yeah, yeah. So if we jump on the religion road, that's a huge thing that I see uh, when I think about some of the categories in your dissertation that you um, talked about, where there are different types of religious harm. Um, this one shows to shows up to me a lot in harm that's caused by the religious community that it's a it's mm-hmm. very much a, a community uh, a way of engaging folks and that there are a lot of ways in which the community is sort of taking sacred and twisting it to to make it fit their cultural norm but i look at a lot of particular scriptures and uh the ways in which people sort of pluck them out of their context. It might be that we talk about proof texting pretty much every week <laughs> on the on the podcast on the religion road because there are so many ways in which scriptures are sometimes taken out of context and sometimes just misinterpreted because there are a lot of ways in which if you see those words and they're in your Bible and they're on those sacred pages, you say, well, okay, that's how I'm going to interpret them and that's what I'm going to push. So you've got the very creation story in in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 where, you know, it is not good for man to be alone. Let let us create a partner for, for this human. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and go from home and the two shall become one. Um, there's a lot of, of coupling scriptures and emphasis out there. There's um, written into Jewish law throughout the Torah and elsewhere the ways in which women are to be provided for if they are single or widowed. I mean, care for the widow and the orphan is repeated throughout our sacred texts all over the place. And so the idea that a woman alone is like, whoa, this can't happen. We have to make sure. And there's lots of layers about the ways in which women were property and they were way too vulnerable and couldn't stand on their two little feet by themselves. Bless their hearts. Um, can tell I have some feelings about that, but 
Um, you know, even when we look in the New Testament, we see scriptures um, about coupling, about the ways in which being together is better. And uh, there are scriptures about why divorce should be forbidden. There's uh, Jesus says stuff about divorce. Uh, in the epistles, in the letters, um, many of which, which are attributed to the Apostle Paul, uh, Paul also notoriously single, and Paul is the one that's gutsy enough to be like, okay, if you're single, then just stay single. You should be like me. I think that's 1 Corinthians 7, somewhere in there, which um, it's Yeah, where better, he basically says it's better. It's better to be single. Uh, as a woman in ministry who came to ministry a little bit later in my life, I will say that a lot of times that's where the justification for the priesthood that we understand as mm. the Roman Catholic priesthood, celibacy and things like that. I'm, I'm sure there are other ways in which that comes from, but uh, again, we can get into the whole idea of women are distracting and since only men can be ministers that and priests and religious leaders that women, it's better for a man to be single because a woman's just going to confuse him. So we have this... Because all just to be clear, all of those were examples of where people proof text, where people take those, all those things you were just describing and pluck out something to justify what they're trying to say about the issue. Right. Or they don't do the longer study of deepening and understanding what was going on at the time. Like, I would like to posit if we're going to read... The scriptures in a literal historical sense that these things actually happened, that uh, God felt it was necessary for there to be another human so that there could be a continuation of the human race for the purpose of procreation. Like, if we yeah. get to the nitty-gritty scientific... If you really get... Liter- if you take the creation story literally, it wasn't that he needed a spouse. It was that there was not another human. Right. <laughs> We needed some more people. And we also recognize not everyone takes that story literally. But right. that's just, it is interesting to think about it from that perspective. Yeah. Since that's held up as the, you need a partner versus, it would be good to have interaction with other human beings. Right. Right. So there are a lot of things about that. The other thing that, uh, I know you and I have talked about this before, and it's possible that this could be an other episode of the podcast entirety, entirely. But the concept of purity culture and the ways in which the culture of uh, a promise ring or a purity ring um, taken from any extreme to I am not going to look at another human until, of, uh, you know, until I'm ready to marry that human, I would argue that purity culture tends to be more closely attributed to the evangelical church. And in the evangelical church, that purity culture tends to be more for cisgendered heterosexual people. So another way in which the LGBTQIA plus community is sort of left out entirely of the purity culture because they're expected to just deny all that they are and everything, Mm -hmm. all, all of their identity because it doesn't fit into that purity culture. Um, And there's a lot of, I think you're right that that could be a whole other podcast, but just the shame-based foundation that many people experience as a part of that culture. Yes. You, uh, you know, there are very strict rules about dating, um, the whole concept of courtship 
and women as property, um, the, you know, the, that women, you know, the blessing of the father, or the permission of the father to take his property away um, before a woman is asked to be married. Like, I have all the feelings about that. Um, why can't a woman ask for a man's permission? And, and you know, why is, you know, why didn't I have to go to my spouse's parents to ask them if they were willing to bless the, you know, bless our union in that way? Like, it was, it you're stepping on our road rage moments, oh, Jill. I am. I am. I am. <laughs> I see I have, it working up. <laughs> I have lots of feelings about it. But the, the 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 nature of the purity culture in creating shame and othering people that um, you're either part of the purity culture and you ascribe to these things, and if you don't, you're less than, you're other, you're wrong, and that same siloing that happens with, uh, you know, if you disagree with me, then we can't be in relationship, which is... So disappointing and discouraging. And I think and believe that in the depths of God's heart, not what God intended for no for people who disagree to not be in any kind of relationship at all. Say that last part again. I want to be sure I follow that. I don't think that God meant for people for for people to silo themselves and be in communities that like you and I can disagree and be in a relationship. Gotcha. And be be friends and be family and and that in God's heart, God does not have these siloed communities of only people who agree with one another. Mm. Yes. I think that's what I'm trying to say. I maybe not so eloquently. No, I yeah. wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. So we've we've gotten into a lot of other things on a roadblock. I started to talk a little bit about sort of abuse of community when the congregation or religious community are the ones that are doing the harm. And I think a lot of that has to do with the ways that churches sort of structure their staff and their programming. I have a lot of feelings and maybe this sort of straddles the gap between a roadblock and a road rage moment. But how do we define family? Hmm. Yeah. That word family has a lot of weight behind it. So are we describing family as more than one person, more than two people? Are Do you have to have kids in order to be a family? Like, I cannot tell you how many position descriptions there are for a minister to children and families out there. So everyone sort of gets, you know... I know of someone who served in a congregation where there were two pastors and one of the pastors said, I will take care. I will be the pastoral care person for everyone over 50 and for men. And the and that person was a man. And then the female pastor was in charge of everyone else and women who were over 50 because the male pastor didn't want to deal with any of the lady stuff, hmm. which... I have a lot of feelings about that. <laughs> um, that episode is definitely coming up. But the idea about, is it okay to be a one-person family? Yes. Answer. Yes, it is. You, as one person, you are a family. You are important. You are enough. You are complete. And I think within the the church setting, you are an equal and equally important member of the church family. Like when, like that's really from a church system standpoint. What are we doing to make sure we include people into the 
large family overall. And this is, you know, I think we've probably spent a lot of time talking about people who maybe were not married yet, but this is also true for people who are divorced, for people who are older and widowed. You know, a lot of these experiences are very similar across all of those, all across the adult lifespan of not being married and maybe not feeling a part of the larger church family. Yeah, yeah. I will say that I definitely don't come from an objective point of view on this, but there is a way in which I feel like smaller congregations do a little bit better on this than larger congregations because there has to be this intentionality about bringing folks together because you can't have your married class in one room and your singles class in another room and your parents class in another room and things like that, that there's got to be a way for there to be and do things more inclusively because the other thing that's so sad is how much are you missing out on if you're only in your singles class and you never get to talk to the married people and you never get to talk to the people with children like I know for me personally my childhood and adolescence was so enriched by the relationships that I had with people with adults who were not my parents yeah. And I am super passionate about trying to facilitate and create that experience for young people in the congregations where I serve because it matters. It makes yeah. a difference when there's a young person who can go to another adult that cares about them, that maybe doesn't have all the baggage of also being their parent. That's really a big deal. So yeah. that's just being part of a greater community than your immediate more traditional family, perhaps. Right. And I think what just keeps coming up for me as we talk is this idea of identity. Like how we, how aligned people are with their identity regarding their relationship status. Yeah. And that that's a piece of identity for sure. But are maybe examining within your church is that piece that is neglecting other identities. Right. Because you're putting someone in singles class and you can only go to the singles class because of this piece of your identity. Right. Versus something you might be interested in because of a spiritual interest or getting to know someone for the job they have or getting to know someone for interests they have that may overlap and that may be a great fellowship opportunity they want to be a part of. And no one in the singles class is interested in that hobby or whatever. Right. So we silo these fellowship opportunities because of this one aspect of identity when that's only one aspect. People are so much more than their relationship status. Right. Exactly. Well, and it's, you know, you mentioned identity and I think about all of the ways that we define ourselves by our roles. You know, I'm a wife, I'm a pastor, I'm a counselor, I'm a teacher, I'm a mother, I'm a sister, like, you know. How when when do we get to the place where we introduce ourselves and define ourselves by I am and then describe ourselves by what we love or what we do or you know that's not a role that we hold and that we aren't identified by these categories that we sort of put in in other places and I think that um, that church can be harmful sometimes when they don't take the time to do the work to think inclusively. Like yeah. I would, to, to jump to a U-turn, I would love for religious communities and worshiping communities to just take some time to do a little bit of self-examination to say, how often 
do we have a group of single people like the Advent wreath around Christmas time? Or how often are we using examples in our worship of stories around single people? How do we normalize things by talking about dating or that process of getting divorced or being widowed or, or you know, the act of being single? How How is that a part of our vernacular and the things that we do, because sometimes I would say that, I think I said earlier in the episode, it's a laziness and it's not a malicious intent. It's just something that happens. And like, we need to not be lazy about that. We need to be intentional about being inclusive. Hospitality is a decision. It's a, it's an act. It's not something that just, just happens. Yeah. That intentionality of creating a community where everyone feels like a valuable member of that community. Yeah. Versus pushed off to the side but is still allowed to tag along. Right. But yeah. rather or but that is truly a part of that. Right. Best example that someone ever gave to me was the difference between when you're um if you're like wandering through the grocery store and this is a pre-covid example by the way. If you're wandering through the grocery store and you run into a friend and their cart is like overflowing with stuff and they're very clearly having a party and you stop and say like, oh, hey, how's it going? And they say, oh, hey, I'm having a party. You're welcome to come on by. And that the way that that feels and the difference between that and receiving an invitation in the mail or receiving a text or a phone call that says... You are invited to come to my party. I am being intentional about mm. inviting you. And yeah. this, so, like, we talk about welcome, and it's this really important thing, and we want to be welcoming, absolutely. But I believe hospitality is the latter. We have to be intentional about inviting people into yeah. our midst, whether they're single or married or divorced or widowed or anything in between and creating that space of hospitality where they feel like they're being intentionally welcomed, intentionally invited to be a part of the life of the congregation. That's a great metaphor. I love that metaphor because that's the difference between, oh, you're here. Let us figure out what to do with you versus please come here. We want you to be here. Right. Right. And not just assimilating like, oh, look, there's a single person sitting on the second pew on the left and there's another single person sitting in the back right. Let's see if we can't get them to sit together. Maybe they don't want to sit together. Or maybe they come to church and they leave their spouse at home. Or maybe there's any other reason why they happen to be sitting by themselves. You can just interact with them as a fully formed human all on their own. Yeah. All all, all on our own, as I still think back to the the ways I would have appreciated that in my many Sundays in a pew alone. Yeah. Yeah, because the idea is that we are working to create an inclusive community where everyone feels like they're invited, not that they're just, well, hey, we're going to figure out what to do with you now that you're here, just like you said. So I, I just think back to that statistic at the beginning. If half of adults are not in a relationship, a romantic partnership right now, then that's a lot of adults that your church is missing out on if you're not creating a place where they feel like they can be welcomed and included. Yeah, yeah. So we've we've used this segment in other... in other podcasts, I'm interested to see what you what you think about this when we talk about who's driving. We're talking about power and control. 
Yeah, this one was one, I feel like in almost all of our other episodes, it's been really clear where the power and control dynamics were and were being twisted. And this one was not as clear for me in this episode, kind of who is driving this and what is this coming from? Because as you said, it's it's not really always overt. There are certainly times that it is more overt, but sure. it's not really kind of an intentional thing or maybe, you know, I can't imagine many churches have what to do with single people written into their bylaws <laughs> or something right. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know how much of this is just the church perhaps reflecting the greater societal pressure to couple up and to be coupled up and that you're not good enough if you're not coupled up. Yeah. Um, but there certainly is that proof texting that you talked about of pulling out those scriptures in isolation as well. Yeah. So I would say that cultural assimilation is what is sort of the driving power Mm. controlling thing. The idea of cultural assimilation. Everybody needs to be the same. Everybody needs to be what culture puts forth as the ideal, which is married with kids and a white picket fence in many cultures. That's a a 1950s American culture, which I want (laughs) to name and label and identify that I don't feel like I fit into or desire for myself necessarily, but... Um, I definitely think that's the case. And I would be remiss if I did not say that I think men are also, in the, in a lot of cases, a driving sort of controlling force behind this in how how they have power in culture and how, how women are, uh, particularly single women, are a threat the way that sort of that purity culture mindset, like... Oh, there's a woman. She's going to be a distraction. Let's all be really careful. Mm. Um, yeah, and how that can be internalized for married women as well to see single women as a threat. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. That yeah. is really interesting. Certainly, I think we saw that in our episode where we talked about um, intimate partner violence and the pressure to stay married, mm-hmm. even in cases of abuse. So I, I think we see kind of a lot of the same thing playing out in all circumstances of divorce, not not just those relating to circumstances of abuse, but this pressure to stay married because despite whatever reason it might be unhealthy for you and how, how that is often shamed and people pressured to stay coupled up and what happens after people do get divorced in the church? How are they treated in the church after that? How, right. how do they have to figure out their identity in the church after that situation and where they fit in after being part of this other community in the church and now figuring out where they belong in the church. So certainly I think we see that control and pressure to stay married at times as well. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to jump back to to roadblocks. Another roadblock that I see is the conflation of public life and private life, Hmm. that there are things that are not allowed to be kept to yourself, that you're not allowed to have privacy, particularly in the age of social media now, where relationship status is is literally something that literally goes. something you have to label and put out there on right. social media. Right. And, and when it changes, it announces it to everyone oh again. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> right. And that's just all of the ways in which, you know, things that go on, and I'm, I am a very private person and, you know, again, whole other podcast episode, like it's really hard to be a minister and be a really private person because there are things about my private life that 
I don't love everybody knowing about. And it's hard It's hard to keep that, that boundary. And I think there's a lot of um, pressure from congregations, particularly around single people of why are you single? Why, why don't I get to know this information about you? And the boundary or the response of like, that's my private life is not always an acceptable answer. Yeah. And that's hard. Like I want to give space for how hard that is because we're sitting here saying show interest in single people. And I know before I got married, my dating life was very consuming. Like that was a huge part of of what I was thinking about and what I was sharing with people. And it was a place of common conversation with my girlfriends about our dating life. And so so it's a way of being able to respect that privacy when someone does set the boundary, as you say, but also to perhaps show interest without assessing value with it. Yeah. Everyone is entitled to have boundaries around what they share about their public life and their private life. And there's a way for people to be in relationship without crossing that boundary. And and a refusal to share that information does not mean I don't like you, does not mean I don't want to be in relationship with you. It's just I'm keeping this part to myself. There's not yeah. a value around that. And there are a lot of ways in which the social structure around churches makes that really hard. And I feel like that's not fair to people across the board, regardless of their relationship status or how they identify or anything like that. Um, The idea of like superiority, again, with the whole age thing, like, I know more than you do because I have kids and you don't. Or I know more than you do because I have a dining room table and you don't. Like <laughs> that, the judging of others based on their own experience versus experience that they're not familiar with. Well, I think so much of what you're saying is true, not just for singleness and for relationships, but just generally respecting people's boundaries, but also creating a relationship with people so you get to know those. Mm -hmm. So you get to understand them rather than having superficial relationships that only have certain topics that can be talked about and when they're not, feeling rejected and shut out. So when we talk about true community, really getting to know each other in a way so we know what's safe and what's not. Right. And we can respect that. Yeah. So as someone who got married later in life, and I know this was a passionate episode for you, so uh, you have any road rage on that we road haven't gotten, gone to yet that I you want to You know, out? I feel like I've tossed out most of it. I've gotten out most of my rage. It was interesting for me as I was planning this episode to see how I've been married over a decade, and this is still so present to me. This I So I didn't realize how... Intensely, I still felt how I, and I wasn't treated poorly. Like, I want to be clearly, I, I was never treated poorly overtly, but just the internalization of being less than for so long sure. based on a choice. And I just want to go ahead and say, despite, you know, we talked about rejection and that kind of thing, still being single is a choice. Anyone could find someone to be with, but you, it might not be the person you want to be with, or you might not want to be with a person at all. So that choice to get married, how that was treated. So I just would be like, like, you're not superior because you're married. Right. I'm not superior now that I am married than I was before I got married. And I just also want to kind of rant at like, 
don't pity single people. Mm-hmm. I wasn't someone to be pitied because I didn't have a husband right. <laughs> for a long time. Right. And so yes. that that's another just kind of road ragey moment of that. Yeah. Yeah. I have to rant a little bit about we talked about purity culture a little bit, but the phrase Jesus is my boyfriend. I don't love that. I don't love that either. And it is troublesome to me on so many aspects. And I think about a particular piece of literature that came out, oh, maybe it was even it was late 90s. 97. Nine, so late night. So in another century, this book came out. <laughs> uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris, yes. I believe. Yes, I'm looking at an article. All of the ways, yeah, and so like all of the ways in which sort of the purity culture was put forward, that dating is not something that happened, that it should be more of a courtship mentality and things like that. And what I find so fascinating is, well, you could read some of the quotes from the article, but like he took it all back. He has now (laughs) basically renounced it. He says that his work, quote, contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry, and he's undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. Um, He actually says that he is not a Christian anymore. Interesting. And talks about repentance in a lot of ways around this. So so this man who really contributed to a lot of this idea that of what single life was supposed to be for Christians now is recognizing some of the harm he caused with this. And, you know, as you were talking about this whole Jesus is my boyfriend, or I just think back to this message that was so popular then around Use this time as a single to get to know God better so you'll be ready for your husband when you get your husband. As if people who are married should not be using their time Right, because once you get married, you're done, you're finished, and you don't need Jesus anymore. I would like to say as a married person that married people need Jesus just as much as anybody else. (laughs) Amen to that. Amen to that. So, so yeah, I think that's a a really interesting billboard, something that's happened in the Christian pop culture that has been a really kind of earthquake, I think, for some of the foundations of what single life was looked at that has now been shifted by the author as he's kind of grown up, I think, and re-examined or deconstructed and then perhaps reconstructed some things. Sure. Um, Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. I will say my other road rage moment is we've already talked about the ways in which single people are thought of as this in in progress, in process thing and heard from someone about an experience that they had where they overheard a religious leader who happened to be of the white male variety, say the goal of our singles ministry is for it not to be needed anymore. Oh, if you could see my face and right like, now, roadies. That like turns me into the Hulk. Like Jill is angry and Jill is going to smash. That makes me so oh. angry. Like it's the ultimate single people are a problem. Right. Mentality. And, and like you use the phrase meat market earlier. Like, if that's not what you're like, the goal. Mm, the only mm. reason we're going to minister to singles is to pair them off. Not that's not okay. That's not that's so far from okay. If you hear that, you might not be in a healthy place. <laughs> Maybe look for another religious place. community. You're not, if you're a single person who hears that, you're not in a place that values you for who you are. And if you're a married person, you're not in a place that values you for who you are either. Right. Again, that whole identity, there's so much more than right. 
So yes. I think that takes us into our U-turns then. What yeah. do we want to see? If we've talked a lot about what we don't want to see. So if we want don't want to see people being treated as less than or being treated as a problem to be solved, how do we provide space for people to be fully integrated in the community, to be welcomed rather than tagged along? Yeah. Well, I think a huge thing is that we stop seeing singleness as this problem that needs to be solved, that it, it stops being this, you know, church, we're not a matchmaking service. And joining a religious community in the hopes of meeting someone and finding someone, if if that is one of your motivations, great. Like, I will say from a not, I can't be objective about this because of who I am. I would hope that you're coming to a religious community because you want to have a relationship with God. But also, I think God designed us to be in community. And I think it's important to say in community. Community does not mean God did not. People who say God did not design you to be alone, I don't, I don't feel like that's fair. God did not create you to be alone. That doesn't mean God did not create you to be single. Yeah, that doesn't mean God didn't create you to, to, to live alone. He right. may have created you to live alone, or he may be just fine with you living alone. Forever. There's but that but the community being other humans in your life that you can support and that can support you and that can journey through life together, whatever that means. Yeah. That doesn't have to mean in a romantic relationship. And I would, you know, a U-turn that I would love to see just maybe systemically or programmatically in a church is if you are a church that's big enough to provide some community for singles, you know. That space was important to me. That not space is not important to everyone. And so just to not see singles as a monolith, to not see singles as all one thing, you know, right. that, as, as that all singles are looking for someone to get married or all singles are fine with whoever they are. There's lots, you know, complete variety within that. So I really wanted a church that would give me the opportunity to have a community of people who were in the same life circumstances as me, who might be more available on a Friday night than some of my married parent friends <laughs> sure. who go out and do sure. something. And But I also would have loved the opportunity to be part of a greater community, to be asked to be on other church committees or to be asked to, to, to provide input into some other aspects of the larger community. So I was someone who was looking for both sure. and found both in many ways. And not all singles are looking for that, yeah. but recognizing that you can provide both those opportunities. But if you do have a singles ministry, don't isolate single people in the singles ministry. Allow them to be part of the greater community too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I said this earlier, my big U-turn is just, just not to be lazy, to be intentional about how you are creating a family. And I do believe very, very strongly that a congregation is a family system, that a true, genuine worshiping community is made up of people who are doing the work to love each other. And that doesn't get said enough. Loving people takes work. It's hard. It's not easy all of the time. People Je aren't easy to love all the people time. People are not easy to love all of the time, which is like makes Jesus all the more amazing because Jesus loves everybody and does the work to love 
everybody. And shows us how to do the work to right. love everybody. Right. But a congregation in and of itself is a family. So if you're talking about family ministries, then you're talking about everyone in your congregation because your congregation is a family. Mm. And if you start to look at your congregation as a family system or as you look at your worshiping community as a family system, that impacts relationships and how people interact with one another and giving people credit for being more than one thing, like you were just saying, and just the the intentionality of being a family and working at being a family and working at being in a community. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. That's just a good motto for life in general. Yeah, yeah. We mentioned a couple of other um, billboards, but, like, I feel like we could just like throw all of the streaming services up there in general for like name your movie that is not about couples and couple coupling yeah. and or name your movie that's about a single person that isn't about trying to get that person coupled up. Right. Yes. And that's the happy ending. Yes. Take, take your My Big Fat Greek Wedding or Bridget Jones Diary or, or every Hallmark movie ever made. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Right. All of that. All yeah. about solving this problem, in quotation marks, of singleness. Right. Um, right. And that that's the ultimate goal in life. Is it the Bechdel test where uh, you run through the movie to yes. look to see if there are women that are talking about something that's not Yes, the Bechdel test. Have we talked about this on the podcast yet? I love the Bechdel test. Say more about so it. So it's think of your favorite movie right quick, listener. If you're not familiar with the Bechdel test, think of your favorite movie and ask yourself. The Bechdel test is, I think, three questions. It is, are there two named women, two characters who have names who are women? Um, do they talk to each other is the second question. <laughs> I love it. And the third one is what's really important here. They talk to each other about something other than a man. Right. Because so much identity in TV shows and movies and everything else is about your identity and a relationship status. Yeah. So so you can pass two parts of the Bechdel test and still, if, if that talk about a man is so consuming then it doesn't pass. Right. Like, you and I have talked about this before. One of our all-time favorite Broadway shows, movies, is Hamilton. And it doesn't pass. It doesn't pass. The Bechdel test. Because when they're talk, they talk, there's, there's there more than two, two named two women. There are two named female characters, and they do talk to each other, but all they do is talk about a man. Yeah. Bless. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's put it in park, Jill. What are our final thoughts? Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Welcome is more than just... We'll tolerate you. Yes. Yes. Welcome is more than, uh, you know, leaving the doors open and we'll deal with you and figure out what to do with you when you get here. Yeah. Be intentional. Invite. Be invitational. That's, that is the true aspect of yeah. hospitality. And, and give people space to be who they are right now. Yeah. And, and let them know that who they are right now is enough. Is fully formed. And, you know, and the invitational piece for me is an ongoing thing. Like, it's not just the first time you're here and you're a shiny new visitor. It's yes. when you've been coming for a while, let's continue to engage you and continue to make you understand that you're important to this community. Yes. And you're an important part of who we are. Yeah, my my putting it in part, my final thoughts are just like church is just a really hard place to be single. And so if you were single, I just want to commiserate my memory with you and just recognize that. And if you are a non-single in a church setting, 
just know it's a really hard place to be single and anything you can do to make it less hard would be lovely. I just, that's what I hope that every church would hear this. If you are a church member um, and you are a particular faith, that you'll consider what you can do to make your community more of a community for all. Definitely. We would really love to hear from you, roadies. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, if you've experienced any of these things that we've talked about in this particular episode, or if you have feelings, we hope that you'll reach out to us. We have said it before, and we will say it again. We really like you. We really like you. We're glad that you're here, and we're blessed to be on this journey together. There's lots of ways you can interact with us. We have a website, sacredintersectionspodcast.com. All of our episodes are up there. You can actually comment right on our website if you would like. It's a beautiful website. Jill has done fast. I, I just love all the work Jill has done on our website. Um, we've also got social media accounts where you can interact with us. Yes, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Sacred Intersections Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Sacred Pod. We would love it so much if you would share our posts about our episodes and have other people who you think just expose us to other people that you think might be interested. If you made it this far, you listened to the whole episode. So we'd love it if you would have other help other people listen to the episode. Yeah, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And uh, if there are other topics, intersections that you'd love to hear about, please reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, and safe travels on all of your sacred intersections throughout the week. Woohoo!